can watch CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impacts of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line of this critical issue. Subscribe to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday, September the 1st, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Benin's presidents in Beijing and the African leaders met with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, Chinese weather authorities have issued the highest level of alert as Typhoon Sala approaches the country's southern coast. And Japan's fishing industry suffers the fallout of the country's nuclear wastewater release into the ocean. In business, China's financial regulators announced cuts on mortgage rates. In sports, a Chinese tennis player advances at the U.S. Open. In culture and entertainment, a record summer box office in China. Now the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met Benin's president in Beijing. Patrice Talon's on a state visit to China until Sunday. It's Talon's third time in China since he took office in 2016 and the first visit in five years. Uh, Beijing says uh, the triple strengthen cooperation in various sectors and bring bilateral relations to a higher level. The African leader uh, laid a wreath at the Monument to the People's Heroes at Tiananmen Square on Friday. Sun Yep has more on the agenda. Just a quick update on President Taiwan's uh, agenda here. Chinese President Xi Jinping is expected to hold a banquet for President Taiwan. And Chinese Premier Li Qiang will meet with the African leader. And China's Foreign Ministry also said President Taiwan will also attend the Global Trading Services Summit. And that service trade fair will kick off Saturday in Beijing. And that was Sun Ye on the state visit by Benin's president. Chairman Zhao Ji of China's National People's Congress Standing Committee has met Benin's president in Beijing and stressed the importance of cooperation to help elevate bilateral ties. Zhao said the NPC is willing to strengthen exchanges with the National Assembly of Benin and provide sound legal guarantees for bilateral cooperation. Uh, president Talon said Benin is willing to learn from China's successful experience and explore a democratic system and development model suited to its own reality. He also pledged to push for deeper bilateral relations. Benin's been working with China to improve the country's business environment for overseas investors. Such efforts have attracted more private foreign investment, including Benin's first baby diaper factory, which is headquartered in the Chinese city of Guangzhou. Huang Fei has the story. In the port city of Katanu in southeastern Benin, this factory is designed to manufacture more than 15 million disposable baby diapers a month. The Chinese company opened the facility less than a year ago, employing nearly 100 local staff. With an initial investment of 5 million U.S. dollars, it's looking to expand further in the West African nation, with hopes to export to the wider region. China's decade-long industrial upgrade has seen companies moving some manufacturing to less developed regions, including parts of Asia and Africa. Benin welcomes Chinese investments as it looks to modernize industries. During his state visit to Beijing, Benin's president Patrice Talon is expected to advocate for more direct investment from China. Meanwhile, China gains political capital from continuing to shore up ties with fast-growing African countries. The Beninese president's state visit to China comes just a week after the BRICS summit concluded in South Africa. The grouping of powerful emerging countries welcomed six new members, including two African nations, Egypt and Ethiopia. The expansion has been described by some as a shift in the global order. It could help reduce the borrowing costs for African nations that are currently paying high interest rates and giving the continent a greater voice in global issues. Chinese companies in Benin are poised to reap the full benefits of growing regional trade, especially through neighboring Nigeria, Africa's most populous country. But experts say more needs to be done to help smaller international firms gain access to finance, markets and skills. That was Huang Fei reporting. 
Uh, trade between China and Benin's been more robust for the past few years, with total volume up by 40% in 2021 to reach $1.4 billion. For more insight, Senior Research Fellow Zheng Yongpeng with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences uh, speaks about how bilateral ties are likely to progress in the future. Uh, Beijing has actively uh, supported the construction of the uh, Better Road Initiative and uh, joined the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, and uh, a high uh, it has a high recognition of China's uh, development path, and of course this is based on the uh, on the foundation that uh, uh, the China and uh, Beijing has the traditional close. Uh, friendship and relationship and the economic uh, cooperation and the political uh, support each other. And as uh, one of the African countries for uh, uh, the, in the development uh, of uh, economy and so faster uh, up to now, Beijing is expected to set up the, an example for China-Africa cooperation. And uh, as an African country with a rapid uh, development, and uh, we, we said it uh, uh, in the f future, and especially through this visit, uh, for example, the uh, development and experience exchanges and the national uh, development path and uh, a high technical, uh, maybe the agreement will be signed and uh, the uh, trade agreement and especially the economic uh, uh, development uh, uh, parks, industrial parks including, and uh, in especially also uh, in the respect of uh, uh, infrastructure uh, construction. Uh, I think in, in this respect uh, will be strengthened. And furthermore, uh, we should say that uh, as one of the developing countries, and especially uh, the development, development situation is better, uh, Benin could uh, join the uh, south uh, and the north and the south and uh, that is to say sometimes to some extent uh, we should say the global south. And that was Zheng Yongpeng of the Institute of West Asian and African Studies commenting on future relations between China and Benin. Well, Chinese presidents extended congratulations to faculty, students, and alumni of the National University of Defense Technology as it marks its 70th anniversary. Xi Jinping acknowledged the great contributions made by the university over the past seven decades to the development of national defense and the armed forces. He said the university's nurtured excellent graduates achieved cutting-edge scientific and technological breakthroughs and made progress in researching and developing weaponry and equipment. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi says China-South Korea relations should maintain friendly cooperation and not be influenced by any third party. Wang made the remarks during a phone call with his South Korean counterpart, Park Jin, on Thursday. The Chinese diplomat said the two countries should continue to enhance mutual understanding, guard against interference from external factors, and refrain from ideological confrontations. He also emphasized the importance of economic and trade cooperation while expressing hope that South Korea will reject attempts to decouple or sever supply chains. Park said South Korea looks forward to enhancing high-level exchanges with China and his country has no intention to engage in decoupling. The two sides also exchange views on international issues, including Japan's discharge of nuclear-contaminated wastewater. The Chinese Premier signed a decree of the State Council on Social Insurance Administrative Services, which will take effect on December the 1st. The new rules clarify the responsibilities of service providers, strengthen regulation, and cut red tape on certain documents uh, while, uh, ser er, while service efficiency is boosted. Law violations and crimes in the social insurance sector would meet with harsh punishment. Coming up, Chinese weather authorities issued the highest level alert over Typhoon Sala. Last week, Japan began releasing nuclear-contaminated water from the tsunami-crippled Fukushima power plant. Opposition voices are overridden by over one million tons of the water stored onshore for over a decade. This week, Deep Dive hopes to unravel the controversies. Has the UN nuclear watchdog's report been distorted to appear as an endorsement? 
Why is the Japanese government ignoring protests from neighboring countries? Available on all major podcast platforms. Just search for Deep Dive. We're at 10 minutes past the hour. China's weather authorities have issued a red alert, the highest in the four-tier warning system, as Typhoon Sala strengthens en route to the southern province of Guangdong. Not far behind Sala are Typhoon Haikui and Tropical Storm Kirogi, which are also approaching the country's southern and eastern coasts. The impacts of the three cyclones will see gusty winds and heavy rains lash Guangdong and the southeastern provinces of Fujian and Zhejiang. Fujian authorities have evacuated over 100,000 residents to safer grounds. In Guangdong, businesses and schools were ordered to close and the city of Shenzhen has suspended all flights starting from noon on Friday. Meantime, over 360 flights have been cancelled in nearby Hong Kong and Omar Khan has more. It's a bit hard for me to open my eyes as the wind blows into my face right now. Uh, it is set to hit Shenzhen and parts of Hong Kong moving down into uh, Zhongshan and perhaps Jiangmen. But here in Shanwei City, we are finally feeling the effect of this typhoon. The winds now in the radius we're in are hitting around level 10. Now, trying to get back to some of my notes here. City authorities in uh, in the city have closed all of the schools. The semester was meant to begin uh, to, uh, earlier, uh, later this week, I should say, but that has all been postponed. 12 cities across the province of Guangdong postponing the beginning of that academic year. Of course, construction, other business operations have also been suspended here in Shanwei and most likely to other parts uh, of Guangdong. Now, this is a uh, high-level uh, high super typhoon, so the impacts have been severe. Of course, those individuals, those people, residents uh, living in vulnerable housing they've been moved to safer grounds trains between Guangzhou Shenzhen southern eastern parts of the province of Guangdong that has all been suspended uh, going into the weekend and perhaps earlier next week Baoan International Airport in Shenzhen that is also uh, suspending flights starting around noontime that was Omar Khan reporting from the southern province of Guangdong the fatal fire in downtown Johannesburg, South Africa, has caused over 100 casualties. It occurred in the early hours of Thursday, and local authorities are investigating how the fire started in the first place. For years, Johannesburg has been battling a serious housing problem. As many as 100,000 people are estimated to be living illegally in abandoned places known as hijacked buildings. Uh, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has called the incident a great tragedy. Sumitra Naidu reports from the scene. I'm standing in the Johannesburg CBD in front of the five-story building that was engulfed by flames. From what we understand so far, police are still investigating. They don't know where the fire started or how the fire started. They did say that it began in the far right of the building and made its way through in. Um, but we've also heard through the day, speaking to uh, different people, to the Johannesburg councillors, that uh, many of the fire escapes inside the building were locked and people couldn't get through it. So if you look at visuals of the building, you'll see blankets and sheets hanging out of the windows, people trying to escape and even jump um, from the second and third stories of this building. Right now, um, we are waiting for more news from the police on their investigations. In the meantime, this incident has started a political debate, one that has been going on for many years over the Johannesburg CBD and the buildings that's in the CBD. So this refers to hijacked buildings. This is when buildings are taken over by illegal occupants. So the DA is now saying that, you know, the death of people lies squarely on the hands of the ANC because they should have uh, ensured that the bylaws were enforced, that people weren't allowed to be in the building. The ANC, in their reaction, have said that illegal occupants shouldn't have been in the building in the first place. Now, a lot of these buildings, there's over 100 buildings in the Johannesburg CBD that belongs to the Johannesburg Property Company, obviously under ownership of the provincial government, that are now being occupied by not only local people, but also illegal residents coming and finding housing and shelter in these buildings. That was Sumitra Naidu on the fire that killed over 70 people in Johannesburg, South Africa.
In Hawaii, Lahaina is now on the slow road to recovery after the deadliest U.S. wildfire in over a century that ripped through the historical town last month. At a time when students are returning to school across America, most in Lahaina are not. Alistair Baverstock has a story. With Lahaina reduced to ashes following the wildfire that razed this Hawaiian town, vital services have also gone up in smoke. The fire burned the town's elementary school and the middle and high schools are too close to the burn zone to welcome students back safely. Caroline Aweloa says some 3,000 students in Lahaina have been displaced from their studies following the disaster, but she and her fellow volunteers are working on a solution. There really is no school facility available on, in West Maui right now, and there probably won't be one available for quite an amount of time. We're planning for at least one to two years. Rather than breaking up classes and sending students to other parts of Maui, the community here is working on setting up a temporary school in Napili Park, where the volunteer disaster response has been based. We're having to be very flexible, very creative, very out of the box. We're working together with the county to use this park and um, some very generous don donors for some 40-foot containers so that folks that have found housing on this side can have a school available for their children. Volunteers like Sally Johnston are already running an extended summer camp for impacted kids who still haven't joined new classes on other parts of Maui. These kids are feeling super sad that their friends are in school. Some of them, their friends are missing. So there's a big sense of, of sadness about them. But we do such crazy, fun relay races, art projects, all these things to try to make them feel like they have a semblance of unity in their lives. Community leader Kaipo Kekona is the driving force behind this community disaster response. He says the children's well-being is essential for the community as a whole. Having kids see an opportunity to still keep their spirit strong and proud, um, and that also impacts the parents. And so the mental health and that stability that we need to have our community stay strong starts with your children. Lahaina's youngest have all been impacted by the fire, but the community here says it will do its best not to allow this disaster to derail their childhoods. That was Alistair Baverstock on the aftermath of the Hawaiian wildfire, which has killed over 100 people. Reconstructions now underway in Florida and Georgia along the path of Hurricane Adalia. At Horseshoe Beach in Florida, James Nobles returned to find that his home had survived the storm. When that, when that southwest wind come in, it, it wiped this house right off of its foundations. It was an elevated house of about eight foot off the ground, but when the storm surge hit it and waves on top of the storm surge, it busted it all to pieces and it's gone. Florida officials said there was uh, one hurricane-related death in the Gainesville area. The state reported earlier that two people were killed in separate weather-related crashes just hours before Idalia made landfall. In contrast, Hurricane Ian last year hit the heavily populated Fort Myers area, and uh, that left 149 people dead. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's pleaded not guilty to a Georgia criminal indictment, accusing him of trying to overturn his 2020 election defeat in the state. The frontrunner for the 2024 Republican nomination will not appear in person in an Atlanta court next week to face the charges. Trump's lawyers also asked the judge to separate his case from some of his co-defendants who've sought a speedy trial, saying they'd not have enough time to prepare for the trial date. Uh, Georgia's Fulton County indicted Trump and 18 other defendants in August on 13 felony counts, including racketeering. Uh, Trump surrendered to the county jail last week. He was the first U.S. president pictured in a police mugshot. Uh, this is Trump's fourth criminal indictment while seeking re-election to the White House. Singaporeans are heading to the polls in the city-state's first contested presidential election since 2011. Three candidates are vying for the presidency. Leading the race is a former deputy prime minister and finance minister, uh, Tarman Shanmu Garatnam. Uh, the two candidates, uh, uh, other candidates, are former insurance executive Tan Kin Lian and the former CIO of the Government of Singapore Investment Corporation, Ng Kok Song. The president's role in Singapore is primarily ceremonial, but it carries responsibility including overseeing the country's financial reserves and exercising veto power over key appointments. Incumbent Halima Yaqub, Singapore's first female president, assumed office in an uncontested election back in 2017. 
You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Japan's fishing industry suffers the fallout of the country's nuclear wastewater release into the ocean. Dubbed the seventh natural wonder of the world, the Great Wildebeest Migration stands as the planet's most astonishing animal migration. However, this breathtaking natural spectacle is under threat from climate change. This time, not any migration cross main crossing. Join us on Climate Watch this week to explore the impact of climate change on this ancient journey and learn how we can come together to preserve this majestic migration for future generations. Twenty minutes past the hour, Japan's fishing industry and related sectors are feeling the pain from the release、uh, release of the Fukushima contaminated water. Japan started releasing treated radioactive water from its nuclear power plant into the ocean last week、uh, amid、uh, continued protests at home and abroad. Terence Terashima has more from Tokyo. The fisheries industry in Japan is bracing for serious impact from the release of contaminated wastewater. From Fukushima Number One nuclear power plant, China has already issued a blanket ban on all aquatic products from Japan. Fishing industry in Fukushima have not quite recovered since the accident in 2011. Fisheries officials in Fukushima worry that the planned decades of wastewater discharge might put a stop to the recovery. The volume and value of fish caught around the coast of Fukushima is still about 20% in volume. And 40% in value compared with harvest before the disaster, according to a market research firm, Takoku Data Bank. Over 700 Japanese food exporters are affected. Sales of aquatic product to China and Hong Kong accounted for 42% of all Japanese aquatic products in 2022, which amounts to 162.6 billion yen, or 1.11 billion dollars. But experts say the damage will be much wider than just to the local fishing industry. The impact will be more diverse. It will not only be the fisheries industry, but other related industries such as companies involved in freezing, storage, and shipping. All those industries will feel the impact. The economic damage is expected to be nationwide, and if the government does not turn the tide around. It could have a ripple effect on other regions and industries. If we assume that the treated water will continue to be released for 30 years, then over the course of the 30 years, it can be assumed that the economic damage would amount to over 4 trillion yen. Experts call for Tokyo to open swift diplomatic negotiations and measures to support Japan's aquatic products industry. That was Terence Terashima reporting. The Russian foreign minister says his country is ready to return to the Black Sea grain deal if its demands are met, but that there are no signs of this happening. Sergey Lavrov made the comment during a meeting with his Turkish counterpart in Moscow on Thursday. The two foreign ministers also discussed an alternative to the deal and the upcoming meeting between their presidents. Dasha Chernyshova has more from Moscow. The alternative to the Black Sea grain deal has been discussed in the meeting between the Russian Foreign Minister Sergey Lavrov and his Turkish counterpart Hakan Fidan. Now, this alternative that has been proposed by Moscow、uh, suggests that Russia will be exporting up to a million tons of grain to Turkey, and then、uh, this will be exported at a discounted price. There will be the financial support of Qatar, and、uh, this grain will then be processed in Turkey and sent to the poorest countries in need from Turkey. So、uh, this is seen in Moscow as a working alternative to the Black Sea grain deal. But also, we understand that Ankara is interested in bringing Russia back to the Black Sea grain deal to this arrangement, saying that、um, this was at the core of the discussions between the two foreign ministers. But with regard to that, the Russian position remains unchanged. Moscow wants to see some、uh, not promises but real deeds, some concrete guarantees, and they were absent when it comes to the implementation of the Russia-UN memorandum, according to the Russian foreign. Minister Sergey Lavrov. Another issue that the summits have been touching upon, who, as we understand from the Russian Foreign Minister, was the so-called、uh, peace formula of、uh, Vladimir Zelensky. And、uh, indeed, these are the issues that are being raised at the technical level between the foreign ministers. But they are preparing for the bilateral meeting at the highest level. We have heard from the Turkish Foreign Minister that this will be taking place in the Russian Black Sea resort city of Sochi. We don't have the date yet for this. 
meeting, but certainly this is what these two foreign ministers are laying ground for. We also understand that in those discussions, certainly the sides will be touching upon the issues of the Black Sea grain deal. In the meeting that we are expecting between the Russian president and his Turkish counterpart, uh, we also understand that the issues related to the regional agenda as well as international agenda will be brought up. But of course, uh, all eyes are on what will be decided when it comes to the Black Sea grain deal and any potential arrangements on grain. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting. The African Union suspended Gabon's membership in response to Wednesday's military coup. General Bryce Oligwe Hungema, the coup leader and former, pre or former head of the presidential guard, is expected to be sworn in as transitional president on September the 4th. The military takeover occurred after Gabon's disputed elections in which President Ali Bongo Ndimba secured a third term. The coup has ended the Bongo family's almost six decades of rule. It also created a new dilemma for West and Central Africa, which have struggled to deal with coups since 2020. Marlene Mbina reports on a public reactions in the Gabonese capital. The reactions are 50-50. Some, I mean, um, majority of the population are happy with the fact that the military troops take the control and put the whole government aside. But other people are kind of, they are thinking, they, are, they have many options in their head, like what's going to happen next? Is it true? Is it uh, a plot? I mean, they have a lot of theories. They are not really convicted. They, they think, I mean, if the military are in charge, are we going to be safe? Is it going to be okay? Military troops gave a new communication. First, uh, the president is going to take a sworn at the Constitutional Court the September 4th. Second one, they take a call to all the secretary and general directors of all the ministries, administration, and society in the, in the country to go back to work, to put things in place, to assure the transition, time for them to gaze and constitute, constitute the new government. So populations are waiting by the fort to see what's going to happen. And that was Marlene Mbina reporting. A Cameroonian town that borders Gabon has halted its markets after the military coup that ousted the Gabonese president. Ibrahim Ndam is a resident of Ambam, and he says the takeover has seriously affected the lives of local people. We live in partnership with our Gabonese brothers, and they often come here regularly. But when they have a little problem like that, especially at the borders, we really feel how activities are slowed down. So for us to try to make progress, the borders really need to be open because if things don't work like that, we're normally on the spot, not working. The cars are parked. On Thursday, the African Union suspended Gabon's membership. The junta says it's resumed domestic flights and restored some state institutions, but land and air borders remain shut. Brazil has launched a plan to reduce poverty and food insecurity rates in the country. Brazil hit its UN target for eliminating widespread malnourishment eight years ago, but since then, the share of Brazilians who say they can't feed their families has more than doubled to 36 percent. At 28 past the hour in Beijing's at 20 degrees Celsius overnight. Tomorrow, a light rainfall in 28. Chongqing's at 24 this evening, then sunny in 33. It lasts down to 8, then cloudy in 23. Hong Kong has torrential rain in the forecast in 26 degrees. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 29. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight, partly cloudy in 33 on Saturday. Islamabad's at 26 tonight, then mostly sunny in 37. Bangkok's 26 this evening. Thunderstorms in 34 on Saturday. Uh, in Africa, Nairobi's getting mostly cloudy skies and 24 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 7 this evening. It's mostly sunny and 18 tomorrow. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Benin's president's in Beijing, and the African leaders met with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, Chinese weather authorities have issued the highest level of alert as Typhoon Saula approaches the country's southern coast. And Japan's fishing industry suffers the fallout of the country's nuclear wastewater release into the ocean. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. 
witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Monetary Foundation. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Bigham with you on this Friday, still to come. In business, China's financial regulators announce cuts on mortgage rates. In sports, a Chinese tennis player advances at the U.S. Open. In culture and entertainment, a record summer box office in China. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with today's headlines, here's Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met Benin's president in Beijing. Patrice Talon is on a state visit to China until Sunday. It's Talon's third time in China since he took office in 2016 and first visit in five years. Beijing says the trip will strengthen cooperation in various sectors and bring bilateral relations to a higher level. The African leader laid a wreath at a monument to the people's heroes at the Tiananmen Square on Friday. Chairman Zhao Leji of China's National People's Congress Standing Committee has met Benin's president in Beijing and stressed the importance of cooperation to help elevate bilateral ties. Zhao said the NPC is willing to strengthen exchanges with the National Assembly of Benin and provide sound legal guarantees for bilateral cooperation. President Petrus Talent said Benin is willing to learn from China's successful experience and explore a democratic system and develop model suited to its own reality. He also pledged to push for deeper bilateral relations. The Chinese president has extended congratulations to faculty, students, and alumni of the National University of Defense Technology as it marks its 70th anniversary. Xi Jinping acknowledged the great contributions made by the university over the past seven decades to the development of national defense and the armed forces. He said the university has nurtured excellent graduates, achieved cutting-edge scientific and technological breakthroughs, and made progress in research and developing weaponry and equipment. China's weather authorities have renewed a red alert as Typhoon Saola strengthens en route to the southern province of Guangdong. Not far behind Saola are Typhoon Haikui and Tropical Storm Kirogi, which are also approaching the Chinese mainland's southern and eastern coasts. The impact of the three cyclones will see gusty winds and heavy rain lash Guangdong and the southeastern provinces of Fujian and Zhejiang. Fujian authorities have evacuated over 100,000 residents to safer ground. In Guangdong, businesses and schools have closed. Shenzhen has suspended all flights from noon Friday. Over 360 flights have been cancelled in Hong Kong. Thailand's king has commuted former Prime Minister Taksin Chinawa's jail term to one year, days after the former leader returned from a self-imposed exile of more than 15 years. Taksin returned last week before being moved to a prison to serve an eight-year sentence for abuse of power during his time in office. As a former telecoms tycoon, Taksin will wield influence in Thai politics with parties loyal to him winning every election in the past two decades until this year. 
Former U.S. President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to a Georgia criminal indictment accusing him of trying to overturn his 2020 election defeat in the state. The frontrunner for the 2024 Repo- Republican nomination will not appear in person in an Atlanta court next week to face the charges. Trump's lawyers also asked the judge to separate his case from some of his co-defendants who have sought a speedy trial, saying they would not have enough time to prepare to prepare for the trial date. Georgia's Fountain County indicted Trump and 18 other co-defendants in August on 13 felony counts, including racketeering. Trump surrendered to the county jail last week. He was the first former U.S. president pictured in a police mugshot. This is Trump's fourth criminal indictment while seeking re-election to the White House. The fatal fire in downtown Johannesburg, South Africa, has caused over 100 casualties. It occurred in the early hours of Thursday, and the local authorities are investigating how the fire started in the first place. For years, Johannesburg has been battling a serious housing problem. As many as 100,000 people are estimated to be living illegally in abandoned places known as hijacked buildings. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has called the incident a great tragedy. Libya says it will not normalize relations with Israel days after the news broke of a secret meeting between the country's two foreign ministers. Last Sunday, Israeli Foreign Minister Eli Cohen publicly、uh, publicly announced that he and Libya's foreign minister had held a private meeting in Rome the previous week. The next day, Libyan Prime Minister Abdel Hamid Dabiba suspended the foreign minister and launched an investigation into the meeting. Regardless of good or bad intentions, together we, the Libyan people, will learn the details of what happened in Rome through the ongoing investigation. It is illegal to normalize ties with Israel under a 1957 law in Libya. Brazil has launched a plan to reduce poverty and food insecurity rates in the country. President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva says the project is aimed at improving the quality of life of Brazilians. The problem is not a lack of food or the lack of planting. The problem is that the people do not have money to access food. That's why we will only end real hunger when we guarantee that all working people have jobs. Brazil hit its UN target for eliminating widespread malnourishment eight years ago. Since then, the share of Brazilians who say they can't feed their families has more than doubled to 36 percent. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has held talks with his Turkish counterpart Hakan Fidan in Moscow. Lavrov said they discussed the current challenges that have emerged following the termination of the Black Sea grain export deal. Fidan noted that negotiations are underway to renew the Black Sea grain agreement with the active participation of the United Nations. The Turkish diplomat also said Russia's requirements are being carefully studied. Lavrov and Fidan also discussed Mos- Moscow. Initiative to supply up to one million tons of Russian grain to Turkey at a discounted price for it to be further sent to countries in need. Thank you very much for the update. That was TNU reporting. This is Shane Bigam in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's financial regulators announce cuts on mortgage rates. Japan is making the ocean a dumping place for its contaminated radioactive water. What ripple effects are awaiting us in the years or decades to come? The move goes against a bunch of international conventions. How can Japan proceed without any opposition from Western governments? Get the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge on all major podcast platforms and CGTN Radio. 38 past the hour now. Turning to business, and the Chinese markets closed mixed on Friday. Uh, the Chinese mainland markets ended the week and started September with gains. The Shanghai Composite and Shenzhen Component indexes each added around four tenths of one percent. There was a positive response to both the changes to the country's housing credit policies and to the latest PMI survey from Caixin. Now, this showed factory activity among smaller and medium-sized enterprises rising back into expansion territory in August. Uh, beating the expectations of analysts、uh, who had expected it to continue to contract,、uh, the PMI reading 51.0.、Uh, a bit of a surprise、uh, with.
with respondents of the survey noting uh, increased sales but a continued decline in export orders. So a lot of the improvement is down to domestic demand. Uh, energy and material stocks were among the top gainers after that data. Someone has to power those factories, of course. Uh, coal companies among the biggest contributors on the uh, Shanghai Composite. Yunnan Coal adding about 10%. Uh, Shanxi Coal Industry Group uh, adding 6.3%. And China Shenhua Energy gaining more than 2%. China's big lenders, though, didn't get much of a lift from the announcement that they'll be required to cut interest on existing mortgages later this month. Uh, shares in ICBC and Bank of China sank more than 1% apiece. Uh, tech stocks were also weighing on the mainland markets and limiting the gains, uh, as was the continued selling by foreign investors via the Stock Connect links. Uh, by some calculations, they sold a record 12 billion US dollars worth of Chinese A shares last month. And uh, that could be the most uh, since the Stock Connect program began. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down over half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained around three-tenths of a percent. China's central bank says that it'll cut the foreign exchange reserve requirement ratio for financial institutions by two percentage points starting from September the 15th. The People's Bank of China announced on its official website that the reserve ratio will be reduced to 4% from the current 6%. The bank says the move aims to improve the capacity of financial institutions to use forex funds. China's top financial regulators have announced further cuts to interest rates on existing mortgages, while lowering down payments for both first- and second-time home buyers. Uh, the move aims to stabilize and promote the healthy development of the property sector. Starting from September 25th, borrowers of existing mortgages for first-home purchases uh, can seek to lower their interest rates by applying for a rate change in the contract or swap for a new mortgage. The policy is expected to reduce interest expenses for mortgage borrowers and help spur consumption and investment. Regulators are also expected to make adjustments on the minimum down payment ratio for individual commercial housing mortgages, both for first-time and second-time purchases. Uh, Su Xinbo has more. The People's Bank of China and the State Financial Regulatory Administration have taken steps to further stimulate the property sector, including reducing interest rates on existing first-home loans and lowering down payment requirements for home buyers. Meanwhile, Guangzhou and Shenzhen in southern China's Guangdong province have introduced policies aimed at broadening the scope of individuals who qualify as first-time homebuyers. This policy adjustment increases the number of potential homebuyers who can now benefit from reduced down payment requirements and lower mortgage rates. Furthermore, those who already hold mortgages in different cities can take advantage of preferential loan terms when purchasing their first homes in these cities. The new policy brings fresh stimulus to the market. Ma Kun, a real estate broker in Shenzhen, inked several contracts between homeowners and buyers right after the announcement. Our customers have been waiting and watching the market move for more than half a month, despite their strong purchase willingness. But after he saw this policy yesterday, he was worried that house prices would rise rapidly, so he made a decision yesterday and asked us to help him sign contract with the homeowner. Another direct impact on home buyers is that it relieves the down payment pressure on upgraders. We are considering to switch from an 80 square meters apartment to a 120 square meter one. According to the latest policy, our down payment for the new apartment can be reduced by 1 million yuan. More cities in southern China are also relaxing mortgage rules. Zhoushan, also in Guangdong province, Wuhan in Hubei province, and Xiamen in Fujian province followed suit, allowing second-home mortgages to be treated as first mortgages. That was Su Xinbo reporting from Beijing. Official data shows that China generated an increased amount of electricity from clean energy resources last year as the country works to promote green and low-carbon energy. Last year, electricity generated from wind increased by 16% to over 760 billion kilowatt-hours. The output of photovoltaic power surged over 30% to over 420 billion kilowatt-hours. The installed capacity of non-fossil energy power accounted for around 50% of the national total. 
China produced more than half of the electric vehicles delivered worldwide last year. Electric vehicles made up more than 25% of China's new car sales in 2022. As vehicles get smarter, there's an increased demand for the computer chips that run them. Zheng Shishuan has more. An ordinary modern car may be able to connect with Bluetooth, detect blind spots for the driver, automatically adjust seats, and display videos. All at once, and all functions run by tiny semiconductor chips. The average car these days has hundreds of them. Smart Sense technology has been developing automotive image sensor chips since 2020. So far, it's launched 11 automotive-grade complementary metal oxide semiconductor or CMOS image sensors. Intelligent driving functions have been advancing steadily. So there are more cameras needed on a car to provide clearer image information. Demand has increased for sensor chips for cameras and laser radars, processors, computing platforms such as GPUs as well as control units. We are continuing to focus on application scenarios for automotive viewing, sensing, and in-cabin monitoring. It is estimated that global NEV production this year will grow by 30%. That has brought an increased demand for the semiconductors that drive these electric systems on wheels. Given the chip shortage that interrupted car manufacturing in the past three years, companies have been paying close attention to strengthening local supply chains to get prepared for the growing demand. And there are some new market opportunities as well. Automotive industry was a clear boom in China, EV especially, and with EV comes a, a new. Uh, era in terms of using display to become much more, you know,、uh, transformative in experiencing with the drivers. We see display becoming much more critical. We are definitely looking for partnering with our customers to get much more basically entrenched into automotive operativities. Shanghai has been a big promoter of automobile chip development. The city now has eight automakers and more than 600 auto part manufacturers. Laying a good foundation for joint advances between automobile companies and chip makers, Saic Motor has just set up a six billion yuan investment fund just for chip development.、And、that was Zhang Shishuan reporting from Shanghai. Are you listening to the Beijing Hour? And coming up in sports, a Chinese tennis player advances at the U.S. Open. The European football summer transfer window has seen plenty of action this year. We have seen numerous big money moves, and the Saudi Pro League has managed to attract some world-class talent. Be sure to join us on this week's episode of Sideline Story, where we will dive into some of the trending window talking points, such as Harry Kane to Bayern, Jude Bellingham's Real Madrid transfer, and many more. At 47 past the hour, turning to sports now, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with tennis, and China's Zhang Qinwen is through to the third round of the U.S. Open after defeating Kaya Kanepi. The 23rd seed won 6-2-3-6-6-2. Jessica Pegula, Ons Jabeur, and Arena Sabalenka are also through, and Sabalenka expressed her happiness with her performance. I'm super happy、um, with the level today, and super happy to get this win. Um, yeah, I, I think I think I played really solid today and、uh, didn't lose、uh, my focus,、uh, not for a moment. So、um, yeah, it definitely was a great match for me. On the men's side, top seed Carlos Alcaraz defeated South Africa's Lloyd Harris. Other big names like Alexander Zverev, Daniil Medvedev, and Andrei Rublev have also progressed. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the games. Less than a month out from the Hangzhou Asian Games, organizers have held drills to test the event's emergency response system. It featured tests in areas including athlete arrivals and departures, media services, competition events, and the awards ceremony. Organizing committee official Mao Genhong says the staff simulated real emergency incidents that happened during the previous games. 55,000 members participated in the drill. We simulated conditions on September 26, the third day of the competition, because it has the most intensive game events. The main operations center has mitigated 21 procedures and conducted 27 emergency drills. The whole drill went smoothly. That means the venues are now ready for the Asian Games. In the meantime, the organizers have also unveiled the menu for the athletes, which features a few local cuisines from Hangzhou. 
In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we go through the 7th edition of the Asian Games, which were hosted in a Middle East country for the first time in history. Chiju has more. The 1974 Asian Games took place in Iran and marked the first participation of the People's Republic of China in a continental event. Ten months earlier, the Asian Games Federation Conference had decided to include China and other countries like North Korea and Mongolia in the Games. Tehran built the Azadi Sport Complex for the Games and played host to a record 3,000 athletes from 19 countries and regions. Organizers added fencing, gymnastics, and women's basketball to existing disciplines, with 16 sports on the program. The games were also known for strict security measures after the terrorist attack at the 1972 Munich Olympics. China sent a 269-member delegation and participated in 14 sports. Chinese athletes won 103 medals with 33 gold. And the country finished second on the medal table in its Asian Games debut. Among the highlights, Su Zhibo won the men's 50-meter air pistol title, which was China's first-ever gold medal at the Asian Games. Li Yaming won the women's 25-meter air pistol gold medal with 555 points, the only world record created in Tehran. Japan topped the medal table with 75 gold. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Qi Zhi. China managed to beat Angola 83-76 in a classification game at the FIBA Basketball World Cup. The win came courtesy of a huge contribution from bench players led by power forward He Jinqiu, who scored a game-high 20 points and said he is always ready to help the team. I have been always ready to step in, and I will spare no efforts in fighting for the ball every minute and every second on the court. I will play this way in every game as per our coach's requirement, and I will try my best to help the team carry out our coach's strategy and keep improving and working hard. Li Kaiyou also chipped in with 17 points, and China will next face the hosts, the Philippines. Lewis Hamilton has signed a two-year contract extension with Mercedes to remain on the Formula One grid until the end of the 2025 season. The Briton has won six of his seven world titles with Mercedes, while the Silver Arrows claimed eight consecutive constructors' championships from 2014 to 2021. The 38-year-old is currently fourth in the 2023 drivers' standings, 183 points behind runaway championship leader Max Verstappen. Hamilton's extension continues his quest to claim an eighth world. World Championship, and he is currently tied with Michael Schumacher on seven. Moving on to football transfer news, and Tottenham Hotspur's left-back Sergio Reguilón is set to join Manchester United on a season-long loan. The two clubs have agreed on a deal for the Spaniard, who has already com- completed his medical. The deal is for a straight loan, as United look to sign a left-back following injuries to Luke Shaw and Tyrell Malasia. Staying with United, they have also signed goalkeeper Alte Bayandia today from Fenerbahce for around 4.3 million pounds. On the other side of Manchester, defending Premier League champions Manchester City have completed the 53 million pound signing of Mateus Nunez. And finally, Liverpool have agreed to sign Bayern Munich midfielder Ryan Gravenberch. The fee is expected to be for around 34 million pounds. The midfielder is set to sign a five-year deal with Jurgen Klopp's side. He is reported to already be in Liverpool and is due to complete a medical today. And thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates reporting. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a record summer box office in China. Would you like to receive the latest news updates about China and the rest of the globe? Tune in to the Beijing Hour every weekday for the latest in politics, business, sports, and entertainment from a Chinese perspective. Subscribe to the Beijing Hour for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Fifty-three minutes past the hour now, and turning to culture and entertainment, Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. As of 9 p.m. on Thursday, China's box office hit 20.6 billion yuan for the summer film season, which started on June 1st, up nearly 15 percent from 2019. This figure marks a new high for the period and a full recovery for the industry. Notably, 23 films generated revenue of over 100 million yuan each, and four films. Made two billion yuan during the period. 
for a 71-day streak, the daily box office surpassed 100 million yuan. The total number of cinema admissions reached 504 million, also a new record. Analysts have predicted that the total box office in 2023 could reach 60 billion yuan. The former residence of Joseph Stilwell in Chongqing has been turned into a museum to commemorate the U.S. general who helped China in its fight against Japan during World War II. In his 42-year military service, Stilwell visited China several times and helped build a bridge of friendship between the two peoples. Earlier this month, a series of events took place in Chongqing to mark the 140th anniversary of Stilwell's birth. Guo Tianqi visited the museum and spoke to the curator. And visitors. General Joseph Warren Stilwell, born in 1883, traveled to China five times and spent 12 years in the country. Stilwell was one of the most sincere and respectful admirers of China, reported Times Magazine on November the 13th, 1944. In southwest China's Chongqing. The command center of the Far East in World War II, Stilwell's former residence was converted into a museum in 1991. 其中我觉得最有纪念意义的应该是那五本。The most memorable collection here are the books donated by General Stilwell's daughter Nancy, with his signature on the cover, which he used to learn Chinese when he was young. The museum displays the general's uniform, helmet, kettle. Medals of Honor and more than 200 photos. After visiting this museum, the achievements of Stilwell are more vivid. He participated in China's war of resistance against Japanese aggression for a long time, and his contributions are undeniable. I want my son to know about this history. Stilwell once said he was impressed by the heroic deeds of the Communist Army in China. At his suggestion, the U.S. sent an observation team to Yan'an to investigate and introduced the Young Communist Party of China to the world. Stilwell insisted that Jiang Kai-shek must be peace with Mao Zedong and join forces to defeat the Japanese invasion. Position caused him to be recalled to the U.S. by then President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1944. He passed away two years later from stomach cancer. The general was described by Zhu De, then commander in chief of the Eighth Route Army, as a great friend of the Chinese people in his telegram of condolences. In 2015, Stilwell was awarded a commemoration medal. For the 70th anniversary of victory in the Chinese People's Resistance against Japanese aggression, enshrining his contributions to the anti-fascist war in the annals of Chinese history. That was Guo Tianqi at the Chongqing Stilwell Museum. The China Tourism Academy has recently predicted that the cultural tourist market of this summer holiday season will be the most busy in the past five years. Fueling this surge is the growing number of experience-oriented cultural events blooming across the country. Museum visits have become one of the hottest tourist choices during the summer holiday. High demand across the country have led to new rules being implemented at museums. For instance, 46 museums in Beijing, including the Capital Museum, have recently cancelled their Monday closure tradition to accommodate the increase in the visitors. Chinese archaeologists have discovered ancient trails of the Silk Road in Xinjiang that were recorded in ancient books. The ruins of the ancient trails are in Yecheng County, which once served as an important passage on the southern route of the Silk Road. Preliminary investigations show that the trail was around three kilometers long with a stone foundation. The trail is a branch road leading the Yecheng County to other locations, which, according to the ancient writings, could reach Xizhang Autonomous Region to the south. That's all for entertainment. All right, thank you very much. And that was Yang Guang reporting. Beijing down to 20 degrees this evening. It's a light rain and 28 on Saturday. Chongqing's 24 this evening. Then sunny and 33. Lasts down to 8. Then、uh, clouds and 23. Hong Kong has torrential rainfall this evening. 26 degrees. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 29. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 tonight. It's partly cloudy and 33 on Saturday. Islamabad's at 26 tonight.、Uh, tomorrow mostly sunny and 37. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees. Degrees, then thunderstorms in 34 on Saturday.
And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, now Benin's presidents in Beijing and the African leaders met with Chinese President Xi Jinping. And Chinese weather authorities have issued the highest level of alert as Typhoon Sal approaches the country's southern coast. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.